Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Steve Fowler. All right, thanks for being patient with me as I do the mic dance of uh, having a mic on with a mask and now not having a mask. And, uh, and thank you, church, for uh, wearing masks. I know it's not your favorite, it's not my favorite, but covering our mouth and nose just kind of keeps us uh, allowing us to, to gather like this. So I appreciate you, you're, you're doing that. Hey, it was, it was the glory days of the early church. Pentecost, the, the booming start to Pentecost was barely in the rearview mirror for the early church. I mean, they were on a roll. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, capture this, this season of glory for these new followers of Jesus. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can go there. The words will be on the screen if you uh, want to just read them as they show up on the screen here. But let me just read to you this, this as Luke writes in, the, in this book of Acts and captures this called the golden age of the, of the early church. He writes and says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day... The Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Ah, friends, these are the good old days of the early church. This is the golden days of the early church, and things are moving. God is on the move. And, uh, and they just kind of hit some of the high watermarks of the early church. Uh, we'll put them up here on the screen. There's devotion to community and to the teachings of Jesus, There's devotion to prayer and eating together. Who knew that having a meal together was that? It was, it's a spiritual act. Uh, it, it's beautiful. There are miracles, signs and wonders, and an awe of God. And everybody shares their resources with one another. So nobody in this church is in need. They gather every day in the temple. Jesus is worshipped. New believers are added every day. There's ribbons being pounded on the cross every day. Roses on the platform every day, so to speak. And the church has a good reputation in the city. These are good days. And in Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6, Luke is just going to tell stories of the reality of what he's just described for us. He's going he's gonna to introduce us to a guy named Barnabas who sold a piece of property on the island of Cyprus, and the proceeds from that sale were given to the apostles, and those, that was the seed money. That was the starter money that actually was used to take care of the poor in this early church so that no one was in need. Luke will tell us about a lame man that Peter and John are going to be introduced to, and he's going to ask for some money, and some of you know this story because you, the song, the Sunday School song, is already in your head. Uh, you know, can, can you give me some silver or gold? Silver or gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Peter yanks him to his feet, and not only is this lame man walking, he's jumping, he's running, he's dancing in the temple. Friends, God is on the move. Peter and John are preaching boldly. 
In fact, Peter is so full of the healing presence of Jesus that as he's making his way to the temple, people have stalked him. They know his normal route. And they're laying their sick and demonized there close by so that just could it be that his shadow could pass over them and Peter's shadow is actually healing people. I mean, talk about the presence and the fullness of the spirit of Jesus in the early church. Amazing days. And by the way, this, this news is starting to go viral in the villages surrounding Jerusalem. Luke tells us that people brought in their sick and those who needed to be delivered from evil spirits brought them to the, the apostles and they too are healed and delivered. Friends, these are the glory days of the church. These are the good old days. These are fantastic days. And don't you love it when you get to live in a season like that? Don't you love it when it just seems like all the things are falling into place and God is on the move? It's exciting. It's wonderful. And I don't know where your brain goes when you think about the glory days. I don't know that when you think about you know, the good days, what, what pops into your heart? What pops into your mind? I, I, I can't help but think about the movie Napoleon Dynamite. Does anybody remember that movie? Remember Uncle Rico? Uncle Rico who, man, he's living in 1982 when he played quarterback for his high school football team. He's talking about how he could toss that pigskin and he could hit anything. In fact, he grabs a steak off his friend's plate, chucks it, hits Napoleon Dynamite on a bike and then brags about being able to throw a football over the mountainsides. I mean, the, those were the glory days for him. I, I was kind of thinking about, I mean, you know, they had this rich community in Acts chapter 2. I thought, man, what were the glory days for Trina and I as we uh, experienced community? And I couldn't help but think of one of the first apartment complexes we lived in, we had friends that we went to college with, friends that we worked with, uh, friends that we went to church with, and there were like four or five families that were all in this apartment complex. And man, we did everything together, and it was so fun. It was just, it was just rich community. And they, they were good days. Some of you in the room, or some of you watching in a house church, you remember when gas was 30 cents a gallon and an ice cream cone was a nickel. Those were the good days. Some of you in the room run businesses, or you're at house church, you ran a business, and there was a season where running that business was just, there was simplicity and significant profitability, and those were good days. Some of you are moms, and uh, you're reflecting back when your kids were little, and you remember those days, you say, man, those were the glory days when my, my kids were young and they were in the home. Some of your moms and your house churches, you're in the room and your kids are young and you're dreaming about the glory days when your kids leave your house. <laughs> that something always comes to our mind when we think about the good days. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with good days. There's nothing wrong. You shouldn't feel guilty about having the, the, this, this gold season, this season where, man, everything just falls in place. It's similar to Acts chapter 1 through chapter 6. I mean, things are moving. God's on the move. It just seems like God's blessing and favor is on you. Those are good days. Those should be celebrated days. We are warned by Solomon about longing for the good old days when those seasons come to an end. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 10 and 14 says, don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Enjoy prosperity while you can, but hard, when hard times strike, realize that both, that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. 
There's your pick-me-up Bible verse for the weekend. Solomon's not saying it's, you know, you should be embarrassed that you're just going through a really good season or you had a great season or you're going to have a great season. He's not saying you shouldn't rejoice in that. He's just saying that sometimes, you know, things are going good. Sometimes things don't go well. And when things are not going well, there's something in us that longs for the good old days. That's, that's not wise. But friends, Acts chapter 1 through 6, these are the glory days of the early church. I love it when everything is falling into place. I love it when it just seems like God is on the move. But I don't like Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7 just, to me, just kind of messes the whole story up. I mean, you've got thousands literally gathering every day in the temple. You've got teaching, and everyone is glued to the apostles' teaching. You've got healing going on. People are eating together. There's significant spiritual friendships in this early church. And chapter 7 just seems like it just messes it all up. A guy named Stephen preaches a sermon doesn't go well with the congregation that day. In fact, it doesn't go so well that people gather stones and they gather other people and they rally people and Stephen is executed. He's killed for preaching that sermon because he's calling out the religious leaders who have rejected Jesus. And he's put to death and we're introduced to this, this really evil guy named Saul who just goes on a rampage. And in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, we read a little bit of what he did. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them in prison. What a setback. What a setback. I mean, thousands gathering in, in, in the temple every single day, ribbons being pounded on the cross. People are joining the family. Things are going good. And then Stephen preaches this sermon. There's this persecution that's ignited. You got Saul who's going to people's homes, dragging them out, throwing them in prison. This seems like such a setback. Why in the world? Don't, don't you ever get in this place where you have these circumstances where you go, God, I, I believe you're all wise. I believe you're omniscient. I, I know you know best. But in this moment, moment, I'm actually questioning your wisdom. You ever had one of those moments where you just go, I, I don't get this. This just doesn't make sense. Here, the, the early church, Acts chapter 1 through 6, things are going so well. The kingdom of God is advancing, and then you get the Acts chapter 7s of life. And it just feels like such a setback. Get this, never again. Never again will the thousands gather in the temple. The, the contentment of all being together is going to be stripped away from them. The safety and the security of being a Christ follower with, with a good reputation in the city, that's gone. The, the, the joy and the contentment and the safety and the security of that is all taken away. That will never happen again as we continue through the book of Acts. It's gone. And can we get personal for a moment? Do you remember February 2020? 
February 2020, when we as a church, I mean, there was this pandemic thing hadn't happened yet. And man, those were good days. We were all together in the room. We were studying the book of Esther. We were connecting the dots. We were looking at a story where bad things were happening, and, and we were like, yeah, but look how this dot connected to that dot, that connected to that dot, and we were putting it all together, and oh, man, when it seems like God is not there, it really, he, he is there. He is the God who does not sleep or slumber. He's, he's active behind the scenes, and that was all great to, to look at and, and to study, and, and do you remember how engaged we were in that series? We were reading the story as in Jewish tradition. And every time you read and you heard the name Esther, we cheered. And every time we read and heard the name Mordecai, we cheered. And every time we said the name Haman, we booed and hissed. And some of you, you loved doing that. Some of you booed and hissed at the wrong time, but you got used to it. If you weren't here, then here's just a short little video clip. And it's got to take you back there because these were good days. Put it up here on the screen. I'm going to read it. You're going to do the appropriate sound effects as we go. In chapter 4, Esther talks to Mordecai about edict. If this is your first time in the same alliance, welcome. Yes. Those were good days. My wife told me this morning those are really good days because you didn't have a beard. But that's, that's a whole other story. Man, those were great days. We were engaged. We were together. We were studying again. This, this was awesome. And then March happened. And April happened. May happened. June, July, August. You, you know we're May 2021, but all those months have. End of May, you have the death of George Floyd. And there's a racial reckoning in our nation. And every pastor friend that I've talked to who spoke on that had, a, had some sort of exodus from their church. And then you had states giving edicts uh, and these, these, these kind of these rules for how to live in your particular state. And, um, and restaurants are closed and people have to work from home and gyms are closed and, and people, they've got, they've got opinions about all this and, and many don't like it. And, and then we got to wear masks and then we, you know, we got to be socially distanced. And this was so awkward and you couldn't fly anywhere for, for quite some time and people's weddings were canceled, graduations were canceled. It was like loss upon loss upon loss. And then we had all these opinions about, you know, was that smart? If I were leading, this is the decision that I would make. And we would gather people around us who thought the same way. And by the way, there was this election thing that took place in November. That was fun. And then after that, we got to the end of 2020 and went, phew, that's over, right? 2021, it'll be all different. And here we are. Look around. We're all wearing masks. Again, thank you for doing that. We're all wearing masks, and, and we're keeping our distance from each other. And we got pews that are taped off, and we got cameras in the room, and, and, and we got someone, like we're worshiping, someone's walking around the platform and, and do, doing that. What, what's up with that? And I'm standing behind a bulletproof screen. Come on. I mean, this... Maybe it's just me, but this, it feels like a setback. It feels like things were clipping along. Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. It's good. And then the Acts chapter 7 moments enter our lives. And it's like, oh, God. I know you're all wise. I know you know best. This just doesn't feel best. 
But then as you keep going through the book of Acts, you get to a little bit farther in chapter 8, and you read this, Acts chapter 8, verse 4. But the believers who were scattered, and these are the ones who were meeting in the temple every day. These are the ones who were in Jerusalem. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Chapter down to verse 8. There was great joy in that city. Philip, who we, we know had four daughters, was in Jerusalem. He was part of those believers that were, they were gathering in the temple every day and enjoying the golden days. Boy, these were good days, but then you get Saul and you get persecution and you get a setback. And this, I'm telling you, this, these are difficult days. These, these are days that people in the room, you've got personal history. Maybe you've lived somewhere in the world where you've endured persecution or you're watching online in a country right now and the country you're watching in, there's persecution if you identify your name with Jesus. This is hard. Yet Philip, as he's scattered in persecution, ends up in the city of Samaria. And in that city in Samaria, he starts telling people, and there's revival, and there's renewal, and people are giving their hearts and lives to Jesus, the Messiah. And then you get to Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Remember that guy Saul, that really bad guy who's hauling people and throwing them into prison? Luke says, as Jesus is talking to Ananias, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. Friends, you know the story of Saul who would become Paul. Much of the New Testament is written by this man. Much of the New Testament is written by this guy. You got to think about it for a moment. We got the glory days of the church, Acts chapter 1 through 6, and then we have this moment that just feels like such a setback. But if that setback doesn't, doesn't take place, we don't get revival in Samaria. We don't get Saul who becomes Paul. We don't get the New Testament. We don't get new converts like Lydia in Philippi. We're not introduced to Aquila and Priscilla and to Silas. And by the way, as those folks are scattered and they go into the known world of that day, we don't get the house churches in places like Philippi and, and Lystra and, and Antioch and Thessalonica and in Ephesus or in Derbe or in Rome or in Iconium or in Berea. None of that takes place. In fact, if you kind of play it out in our, in our mind, if they stayed in Jerusalem, the fact of the matter is we're probably not in the room and you're probably not in your house church. But because of a setback, all you get chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, just play it out. And the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. Friends, we have to understand what Luke is helping us see here in our current circumstances of what God sometimes does. Sometimes what feels like a setback is actually, it's actually an advance. Sometimes what feels like a setback is actually in advance of the kingdom of the kingdom of God. Sometimes those moments where you're, where you're wondering, you're questioning God's wisdom, and why would you allow this? And, 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 and this all happens. Jesus, why would, why would you allow this to happen? And he sees things we don't see, and yet we're seeing the pain and the rawness and the disappointment and the thing. You know, those, there were good days when, when we all got to meet in the temple, so to speak. But we look around now and we go, we got tape pews and massive. Where is everybody? And there's some longtime Salem Lancers who just aren't here anymore. And what's going on, God? I don't like this. 
Sometimes what feels like a setback is actually an advance of the kingdom of God. And friends, sometimes God will use disruption to recalibrate our hearts to God's purposes for ourselves and for each other. We're starting a new series. It's called Replant. We've called it Replant because... In these last four or five weeks that we have been back in this room, we didn't just want to say we were reopening. We didn't want to say we were regathering. We wanted to, to convey that this disruption is an opportunity for us to recalibrate ourselves with God's heart for us. We're going to be talking about what that looks like in the next three weeks. We're replay. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but on October 2nd and 3rd, here at Sam Alliance, we will be celebrating our 100-year anniversary as a church. Depending on, yeah, thanks for celebrating that. That's really good news. We stand on the shoulders of faithful people who have gone before us. For five years, a small group of people prayed about planting a church And in 1921, they planted Salem Lion Church, humble beginnings. And in this year, our hundredth year, hopefully as we get to a tail end of a global pandemic, we can talk about what it means to replant Salem Lion Church for however many years we're here before Jesus returns. We're replanting ourselves. And at the same time, we acknowledge that this has been tough. There were glory days. Acts chapter 7 happened. Felt like a setback. I wonder what the advance opportunity is for us. We'll talk more about the specifics in the next couple weeks. I want to take your attention to Ezra chapter 3 as we wrap up. Ezra 3. And here's what's going on. A little context for you. The people of Israel were conquered by Babylon. They're taken into exile. And they get into exile, and they're there for 70 years. Jerusalem is torn. Walls are torn down. The city is burned. And they're coming back after 70 years, as Jeremiah has prophesied. They're rebuilding the city. They're replanting the temple. They literally have just laid a foundation, and now they're going to have a celebration of that foundation to the temple being laid. Let me read it for us. It's dedication day, and all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the temple was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men, by the way, that phrase, who were ancient men, I'm pretty sure in Hebrew that just translated Brian Candela, but we'll just keep going. Many of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first temple when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy. The people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. People were feeling all the feels. See, there were some people that were, they were young when they went into exile, and they remembered the old temple. And when they looked at this temple, it was smaller. It wasn't what it was before. And they were crying. They were weeping. They were sad. At the same time, there were younger folks who had come back, and they had just heard the stories of what it was like. And they see a foundation, and they don't have the history. They didn't see the old temple. They're just excited that there's a new start. What are you feeling this morning? 
You're sitting in a house church, sitting in the room, on a walk, on a drive. What have you been feeling? Maybe you've been feeling, ah, finally, I'm filled with so much joy to be back in the room. Maybe this is your first time back in the room. It's your first time in a house church. Welcome. Glad you're here. Maybe you're sad. Like This is like, there's been some setbacks this year. Maybe you're just tired. It's like, I'm just so drained emotionally. I just didn't know what to think. I'm just numb. Do you realize that those emotions and others are all in the room here as we're replanting together? And can I just say to you, that's perfectly fine. Because when you look at the stories found in Scripture, this is exactly what you read. Friends, I love the golden days. I love the Acts chapter one verse, chapter one through to chapter six. I love those days. I wish that they would never. I wish they would never end. But sometimes the Acts chapter seven moments come, and what seems like a setback is actually an advance. I mean, practically speaking, we got about 150 house churches that are tuning in. Those wouldn't exist. And who knows what else is on the horizon for us? Yet at the same time. We process our grief. And we process hope. And we give to God our disappointments. And He can handle our complaints. He actually calls it worship. Let's wrap up two, two ways I think we can move forward here. First one is this John 15. You get the pruning, you know, I'm the vine, you're the branches. I want to just suggest we need to reject the temptation to be a fault finder. You know, when you're being pruned personally, do you know who finds fault in you most frequently? You. You know your failures. You know your mistakes more than anyone, and you can speak the harshest words of condemnation over yourself. Can I just invite you in these days to reject the temptation of beating yourself up? It doesn't mean that we don't confess our failures. It doesn't mean that we just put a gloss over it and ignore it. No, no, just extend yourself a little grace. Jesus was the best at speaking truth in love. Speak truth in love to yourself. And then collectively, reject the temptation to be a fault finder. I know in this season that sometimes it feels like, it just feels like when someone validates my opinion about what's wrong with the world, it kind of feels like, it feels good to have alliances, doesn't it? But can I invite us to, instead of praying on one another, to pray for each other? I think when things are not going the way, we, when Jesus is clipping the branches and we're being pruned, that's when we're most vulnerable to find fault in ourselves and others. So I would just speak a word over you. May Jesus empower you to not pray on people, but to pray for people. As you see gaps, as you question wisdom. It doesn't mean you can't have the fierce conversations. No, actually, those, those are important to have. It doesn't mean there's not accountability. No, there should be accountability. It just means that we can speak the truth in love. We can be gracious to each other. That's the church. Second thing I would say is simply this. Renew your trust in your King Jesus. 
fact, for some of us, the spiritual discipline we need to take out from this place and implement first thing tomorrow morning when we wake up is just to say out loud, King Jesus, I completely trust you. Your second sentence may be, I don't like what I'm going through, but I trust you, and I surrender to your wisdom. We're replanting, friends, and sometimes what seems like a setback is actually an advance, and the good news is our Christ goes with us into our future together. Let's pray. So, Lord, on this day, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your guidance. We thank you that you are our Messiah, our Christ. We thank you that you've lifted off the stain of sin from our lives. We thank you also for the fact that, Lord, we are to be like a a preview to the fullness of the kingdom of heaven one day. So do your work in us. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us. Bless us with humility. And together, collectively, we declare, King Jesus, our trust is in you and you alone. Guide us into our future together. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit at salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, Thanks for listening.